Hello and welcome to Bible Marathon. We're all about learning how to read the Bible, about spiritual gifts and giving proper defense and explanation for what we believe as Christians. The goal is to progress with joy in the faith and without further ado, let's get into the word. So today we're having a special guest and some of us have butchered her name in the process and I'm hoping we don't do that anymore. Um, we're having a special guest and this is a dear friend of mine. Um, she's here and she's going to be teaching specifically on life sense, life sense. All right. We have a series of teachings um, this month to equip you to get wisdom from God's word. All right, so I want you to pay attention. I want you to be full of expectation. Um, OJ is a dear friend of mine. She's a teacher. She's an artist. She's just an amazing person. She she works with children, and I've known her for a while. Um, and it just it's by providence that she's able to be here, and um, will be taking us through this teaching. What I want you all to do is get ready. All right, take notes, um, be ready to receive everything God has for us here. So what I'll do right now is just pray um, for OJ and I will have her come on the stage. All right, so let's pray together. Um, Heavenly Father, we just ask that even as OJ takes the stage to teach us Life Sense 101, pray that we're equipped with your the knowledge of your will, help us, Lord, to practicalize everything that we learn from this session. And ultimately, let your name be glorified. Let the speaker speak with your unction, with your power, with your wisdom. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right, without further ado right now, I'd like us to do it the way we do it here in Bible Marathon. Let's welcome OJ to the stage right now. Let's welcome her. Welcome, OJ. Guys, guys, that's not how we welcome her. Welcome, OJ. That's not how we do it. Welcome. We can do better. All right, awesome. Everyone. Hello, everybody. Hi. Hi. Okay. I'm so glad to be here on this platform. Thank you, Ernest, for inviting me. Thank you, Victoria. And I enjoyed the introduction and the Bible games. Although the last passage you called in Proverbs was not a common one, so it's going to be hard for anyone to have gotten the answer. But it was cool. Can we all hear me, please? Yep, loud and clear. Yes, I can. So, um, yes, like Ernest said, I'm a teacher. I work with children, and so by virtue of that, in some aspects, I have become a child. I think the way they do, but and, and I find out life is so much easier for me that way. But it's all cool. I'm glad to have this opportunity to talk about life sense. And the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are two books I particularly love for many reasons. So I'll just go straight in to the topic. We're learning about life. Uh, life isn't strange to any of us right now. 
when we were born, we were babies, but now we are grown up, we're adults, we're woke. So we understand what life is all about. And at this point, many people have made statements like growing up is a scam, like lies to us about the whole growing up process and all that, because we're seeing things now that we're experiencing things and seeing things that we never knew we would we would come face to face with. But now we're right in the middle of it and we need answers. We need answers to our questions. We need solutions to our problems. And so basically we need wisdom, okay? And when we're talking about wisdom from the biblical point of view, Solomon comes to mind. Now Solomon, if we review his his life history, first of all, he was born from David and Bathsheba. And the Bible records that when Solomon was born, God specifically gave Solomon a name. Like God loved Solomon so much the moment he was born. He sent a prophet to name him, and they named him Jedidiah, meaning beloved of the Lord. And when Solomon was growing up, David taught him so many things, which he began to implement and he became king. And then at some point in time, he realized that these, this, these people are too overwhelming. The things I have to do, it's too much. Like life I have to live for other people, for people, it's all too much. And so he asked God for wisdom. And when God asked him, what do you need this wisdom for? He was actually able to tell God precisely what he needed the wisdom for. And we find that in the book of First Kings, chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 7. Now, this is Solomon talking. He says, now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David, but I am only a little child and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here amongst the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count on number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. And then continuing on, it shows that God was really excited. This is someone who has realized that he cannot do things on his own. And he has realized that the real source of wisdom comes from God. And then he humbled himself to ask God for wisdom. And God was surprised that Solomon didn't ask for things like riches or the death of his enemies, which some of us would have asked for. Like I, I, I have a long list of things I would have asked God for if I were given that opportunity. Probably wisdom wouldn't have been on the top of my list, but wisdom was at the top of Solomon's list. And so God gave him wisdom. Now, when we're looking at Solomon, um, most of the things he, he, most of the wisdom he expressed to us were found in the book of Ecclesiastes, um, Proverbs, and then in the Psalms of Solomon. Now, when people talk about Solomon, I have heard people say, sorry, I'm just trying to give a brief introduction before I get into the topic. I've heard people say things like, Solomon was, he was wise, but he didn't use his wisdom well. <laughs> Someone has jokes, like, how can a same man 
who has wisdom from God marries 700 wives and have 300 concubines. That's absolutely crazy. But, but reading Ecclesiastes, it shows us exactly why he did the things he did. And I will get to that in my teaching. Now, in times past, you know, those days when there was no internet and phones and Netflix to binge watch, we had our parents and, you know, siblings, we had habits of sitting around in the evening, listening to stories. Oh, grandpa, tell us what happened when you were small. Oh, tell us how was school, how was, how was. And then we sit down and we listen to stories from our elders and we are able to apply the things they tell us as part of our wisdom bank or our knowledge bank. And, and I think that was how the whole folktale thing gained popularity because our fathers would tell us stories about tortoises and spiders and all those weird, weird things that aren't even human beings, but the, the stories and the morals from it are good enough that if we can apply them, we can gain wisdom or gain experience from these things. Now, the Bible is a compilation of people's experiences. Apart from the verbatim quotes that God gave, verbatim quotes that um, Jesus Christ gave in the New Testament, the Bible is a compilation of experiences that men have had with God, simply documented for us. So it's, it's like Solomon now is like the grandpa that we are sitting down in the evening to ask, oh, grandpa, what happened? Ah, I heard there was one day God visited you in your dream and asked for wisdom. And then Solomon gets to tell us his experiences. And now it is up to us to take the things he has told us, refine it, and find out where we can apply it to our lives. The point I'm trying to bring out is that the Bible is not abstract. It's not vague. I've seen situations where we're talking about something and, and I'll be trying to bring up the Bible and someone will say, I beg, drop down one, drop Bible first. First, drop Bible first. The Bible is part of the, is, is part of the solutions. Like the Bible forms a core part of the solution we are looking for. We must understand that the Bible is not abstract, it's not vague. It's very interesting. And there are so many life lessons that we can learn from the Bible. All right, so now we are done with our introduction about Solomon. Let's dive straight into our teaching for today. Okay, so when we talk about life, being adults, there are three main sectors of life that I think rank priority. The first one would be relationships. The second would be finances or money, resources. And the third would be satisfaction, like your own contentment. Because you can be in a relationship, you can have all the money, but you're not really satisfied. You're not really content with where you are. So contentment, satisfaction, very important. The resources or money, very important because money is very important to get things going. 
and then the relationships with the, the, the people we have around us, our friends, and for those who have spouses or have um, are in a relationship with someone, all those things are very important. We're going to start off with the aspect of relationships. The right people. Now, family, we can't really choose family. They've already been given to us. But what does the Bible have to say about our friends? And what does the Bible have to say about love or our future partners? And when we talk about friends, the book of Proverbs has so much to say about friends. I'm just going to pull up a few references as I speak. The book of Proverbs warns us and tells us to be careful about how we choose our friends. One of the um, passages that was pulled up in the quiz talks about guarding your heart with all diligence. That should be Proverbs. Guard your heart with all diligence or out of it proceeds the issues of life. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Yes, oh, thank you. Proverbs 4, verse 23. talks about guarding your heart with all diligence, for out of it proceeds the issues of life. And then if we look at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10, for example, let's start from 1, verse 10. It talks about sinful people. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them, etc., etc., etc. And it talks about how, even though they may want to paint a picture of, there's so much we can gain from this friendship. And let's be real. Let's be real. From the moment you enter secondary school, you start, you start having to make choices of your own about the associations you keep. It's worse in university and it's worse even after that because now you're a complete adult, you're responsible for who you hang out with and all that. But the Bible actually warns us about some kinds of people. People who are quick to plan evil. Like those days in school, we always have, and even now I'm a teacher, I see these children. We always have those naughty sets of children that when someone is passing, they will just stretch their legs so that the person will fall down and then everybody starts laughing. And then I have to judge so many cases on a daily basis. If there's a child like that in school, I have to judge so many cases on a daily basis about how this child did this, how this child said this, and because they said it, other children in class were saying it. And then we just have people learning bad habits learning, stealing, learning to use bad words simply because there's a child in class that people feel, oh, maybe this guy is cool. We want him to be our friend. And then they start picking up his bad habits. And it doesn't change because we're adults. If we are not careful, if we do not guard our hearts, we will find ourselves picking up bad habits of people that we, we admire. Now, these people may not necessarily be born again. And that is where the problem is. These people may not necessarily be born again, but for some reason, we might just be drawn towards them. And if we are not careful, we pick up bad habits that they have. 
another part of the Bible in Proverbs 22, verse 24. It talks about hot-tempered people. Have you ever been with someone who is always shouting? And then after some time, you find out that you yourself, you are always shouting. Do you know that the more you spend time with someone, you copy their words, you copy their mannerisms. If you have a friend that stammers and is your real close friend, if you're not careful, after some time, you'll find out that it's like you're beginning to stammer and stutter the way they do. If you have friends that, that are loud, <laughs> after some time, you start being loud. When I was in school, I had friends who like to make jokes. They make um, puns out of everything. They call it cracks. After some time, you'll find yourself cracking too. If somebody says something, you just turn it into a joke. And then you can sit back and wonder, when did I become like this? But then it's it's been a slow process over time, simply because of the friends you keep. So when we read through Proverbs, as we're doing now, it's such a beautiful experience to read. When we read through Proverbs, we will see that the Bible actually warns us against all these kinds of weird friendships. Now, when I'm done with my teaching, I'll come back to all these things and I'm going to throw it open because I know a lot of us have experiences and we can relate with these things I'm saying. I'm trying to make it as simple as possible because I want us to be able to relate and share our experiences. It is with this, this sharing, this fellowship, these are the things that will help us to grow. Because like I said, the Bible is not abstract. It is very applicable to everyday life. So our relationships, we should learn to guard our hearts. Really, if we are not careful, the things that are outside, we feel we have friends or we have neighbors or we have roommates using four-letter words. I don't use the four-letter words, but I'm sitting constantly next to someone or I'm talking constantly with someone who uses those four-letter words. After some time, you start to think it. Like you didn't vocalize it. Somebody will do something. In your mind, you will just think it and think the words. And you start saying, oh, God, forgive me, God, forgive me, God, forgive me. <laughs> and then if you are not watchful, after some time, those words you think that you were too afraid or ashamed to say, one day by mistake, it will just come out of your mouth. And you will not even realize, you may not even realize that you have said something wrong. It's somebody else that will, that will turn to look at you like, ah, pastor, what did you say? So genuinely, to keep these things at bay, we should be careful and watchful friends and associations it's not going to be easy because nothing good comes easy but it's something we must do we must be watchful we must be careful now i'm going to pause on um, relationships as per friends let's talk briefly about relationships as per love or a spouse or a partner um, um there's this prevalent thing about dating. Some people put no restrictions on their dating life. They just jump from one relationship to the other, to the other, to the other. I know everybody has their reasons why they do the things they do, but biblically, we should have 
a filter and a sieve and self-control on our lives, on our behavior. In the book of Songs of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 4, actually says that you should, and I know that's not too many people because people hardly read Songs of Solomon. They think it's the most diverse <laughs> book in the Bible. But it's not. Every scripture is, is God-breathed, okay? So Songs of Solomon chapter 8, verse 4. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Another translation would say, until it's time. So the Bible, and that's just one verse out of many that teaches us that we should be wise about our, our deep emotional relationships with people. If it's not leading to anything productive, the advice is don't be involved because <laughs> when things go south it will break you to break your resolve it will scatter your mind it will distort so many things about you and that's not the image that god really have us to portray so i'll leave that because i know there is there is a teaching on on relationships and all that coming up somewhere later in march so i'm going to leave that that is all for relationships the bible tells us gives us so many pointers, so many, um, so much wisdom and practical wisdom on how to build relationships, who to build relationships with, when to break off relationships. Relationships. The Bible actually tells you that you should not, uh, don't be quick to go into agreements with people. Don't be quick to strike your hands in a pledge don't put up don't put up security for strangers there's so many references in proverbs that tells you to be wise about how you relate to people so let's talk about money 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 <laughs> the love of money being the root of all evil but money money are all things right good so let's talk about money money now when we're talking about money, there's diligence. There's there's diligence. There's two ways of getting money. One, you either get it the right way or you get it the wrong way. It's black and white. You either got your money the right way or you got it the wrong way. So we're talking about diligence. I'm using the words of Proverbs now. Diligence versus ill-gotten gain. And there are so many Bible passages about diligence. <laughs> okay, the most popular one would be seest thou a man diligent in his business, he shall stand before kings and not mere men. I do not know the chapter and the verse, but I know the quote, so I've quoted it. Seest thou a man diligent in his work, he shall stand before kings. I did not look for that. It just popped into my head. Oh, yes. Perfect. Proverbs 22, 29. You see a man skilled in his work. He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. Now, diligence is not easy. I will not lie to you. There is nothing fun about waking up by 5 a.m. 
to be dressed by six to pray and be dressed by six to leave the house and be in my office before seven. That is my daily routine. And I get home by like 5 p.m. And I live in Benin. And I know for people who live in more fast-paced societies, that your routine is probably tougher than mine. Definitely probably tougher than mine. There is no joy. There is no pleasure in living life that way. But if I'm not diligent, what are my options? Bill Gotten again. Yahoo, Yahoo Girl. They have Yahoo Girls. Is it just Yahoo Girls? But that is not really an option for me as a child of God. And it really shouldn't be an option for anybody at all. Now, when we're talking about work and diligence and discipline, there is a part of Proverbs I particularly love. Proverbs 14, verse 4. Proverbs 14, verse 4. Okay. Proverbs 14, verse 4. Where no oxen are, the trough, some versions will say the manger, the manger is clean. But by but much increase come by the strength of an ox. Now let's picture this. You have a farm. You have a farm. And someone walks into your farm where there are cows and all that. And the person is complaining, at least your farm is smelling. You see, see what they are doing on the floor. Flies everywhere. And the person is mocking your farm because it's smelly, there are flies, your hands are dirty, you don't wear high heels to your farm, you can't do your nails to your farm. There's nothing like makeup in farm, like you are dressed like a farm girl, you have cows, you have, but these cows, these, these sheep, these goats are doing an excellent job in providing your daily needs. They are able to feed you, they are able to feed your family, you are able to sell them and make money to invest in other ventures. And then someone just comes and perhaps ridicules you because your manger is, is dirty. Would you be tempted to, oh, I want my manger to be clean. I want everywhere to be fine. I want this farm to be fine. I don't want to smell anything. So I'm going to get rid of all my cows. I'm going to start spraying perfume when I'm going to the farm. I'm going to start wearing heels. Yeah, but the moment you do all that, you lose, you lose your abundant harvest. What I'm trying to say is that there are sacrifices you need to make, which other people may not understand or they may not appreciate, but these sacrifices you make to be diligent are the things, is, is what brings your abundant harvest. So do not let anybody despise the righteous work you do. I've seen people who go into tailoring and they are looked down on because they are trying to learn tailoring or they are trying to learn hairdressing or they are trying to learn. They are being looked down on by people who jump from men to men and are getting free money kind of but that lifestyle is not an option for us that is not even an alternative for us it is better that we 
put our heads in our game. Let the manger be dirty, but let us have an abundant harvest than to try and, do you get what I'm trying to say? Than to try and, you want it to look like, you want, you want it to look like them, but we can't really do what they're doing. Discipline takes us a long way. Diligence takes us a long way. There's another fascinating scripture I like about discipline, Proverbs 27, 23. This one, someone showed it to me when I was in school. And I have never let it out of my sight since then. Proverbs 27, 23. Okay. It says, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. Verse 24. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. 25. When the hay is removed and the new growth appears and the grass from the hills is gathered in, then the lambs will provide you with the clothing and the goats with the price of the food. You will have plenty of goat's milk to feed your family and to nourish your female servants. If we look at it, you'll find that it's very explanatory. Be careful to know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. Riches do not endure, and a crown is not secure for all generations. Kings have had the crowns stolen from their sons. Like, this is the king. This is the son. The son is supposed to inherit it. And someone from outside just comes and steals it because they were not watching. So even royalty that should be passed on by bloodline, many times is not passed on by bloodline. The Bible is trying to tell us that we need to focus. We need to be diligent. We need to make plans and make sure that we are following these plans to watch over our businesses, our trades, whatever it is we are investing in that will provide us this money, these resources. I know it seems like the wicked people, I like calling them wicked people so that we won't get it twisted. The wicked people are getting their things so easy. They just go to Ghana, they just come back and have rich. But no, there are so many curses. Like there are so many curses in the Bible, in Proverbs, all over the Bible, on people who, who get money like this, like that, especially when they, they got it through ungodly means. There are so many. There are references that says uh, the money will grow wings and fly away. There are references that says uh, the money will taste like gravel in their mouth. There are references that say God will collect the money and give it out to other people. There are so many things the Bible talks about them. Time will not let me exhaust it. But the more you read Proverbs, you will come across these scriptures. You will come across them. And you should learn to journal. Let me just branch into that. You should actually learn to journal. When you're passing through something, when you, you read the Bible, you're reading the Bible, possibly because you need answers along a specific line, have a journal, learn to journal. I brought some of my journals for you here today to show you. This simple book, the first time I started journaling, this was 2013, this was 2014. 
This one is another one I have. Full and exhausted. I have another journal. I have so many journals. And as I read scripture, as I learn things, I write them down. If someone random comes across my journal and reads it, they will learn something. And the things I write down, I've picked out a specific part of scripture now that makes sense to me. And I write it down. So if randomly I'm just looking through my journal, I just see something. I can't remember. Oh, at this point in time, I was struggling with forgiveness. And probably that's why there are so many quotes on forgiveness in this section of my journal. So journaling is very important. It is absolutely important. If you don't do it, start doing it now. It helps you meditate on scripture. It is absolutely important. So people who gain money through all those methods, please, it will, it will not profit them. Even if, even if, and do you know something? Do you know they lie? Do you know they pretend? People who claim they've gotten all this money, they are satisfied with life, they are high on life. They, you can't make a deal with the devil and go away scot-free. He will take something. First of all, the devil will take his own. Then God's punishment is the second half of it. So if they are looking perfectly fine, they are Hollywood superstars. They are lying. They are hiding something. They are pretending because they want to draw more people in. So do not ever envy wicked people. Do not ever. There's always something they're hiding. And when you do things the right way, when God blesses you, you will be glad you stuck to it. Thirdly, I'm going to move on to contentment. And this is where Ecclesiastes comes in. I know I've been speaking a lot about Proverbs, but now I'm going to speak about Ecclesiastes. Contentment. Now, Solomon, like I said, some people felt um, that wise man went to marry 700 wives, 300 concubines, and so many other strange things he did. So surely this guy can't be wise. But Solomon was actually quite wise. And he told us exactly why he did the things he did. Solomon was like a scientist. He knows that there's, there's, there's a whole generation of generations coming after him who may never have the opportunity to test all these hypotheses that people have put forth. Or if you have money, you'll be, you'll be satisfied. Or if you have uh, a good wife or a good husband, you'll be satisfied. So Solomon took his time to actually gather all those hypotheses and answer all the questions for us. And of course, his summaries were, <laughs> were very depressing because he concluded that everything is meaningless. Uh, money is meaningless. Pleasures are meaningless. Riches, meaning everything is meaningless. But in Ecclesiastes 13, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. His conclusion there was very comforting, like in the midst of everything that is meaningless. So where is the meaning now? So Ecclesiastes 12, 13, it says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Hear God and keep his commands, for this is the whole duty of man. And um, Solomon talks about how Somebody can have money and still not be satisfied. You can have all the money 
and you're still not satisfied. There might just be this one sickness that money is not going to care for you or this depression that money does not solve depression. I hope you know that money does not solve depression. And there are so many, money does not solve heartbreak. <laughs> there are so many things that money does not solve. So money is not really, is not really it. And then he talks about people who are so bent on having the right answer to everything, pursuing knowledge. He said, gain all the knowledge in the world. It's not really it. Because when he was talking about money, he said you can build all the money, have all the money in the world, and then you die. You eventually die. Then one fool from somewhere will come and inherit everything you've done and just turn it upside down. And so... Solomon's conclusion was that, yes, Solomon's conclusion was that to fear God and to keep his commands is the whole duty of man. When we fear God as we work, it is God that grants satisfaction. And he also mentions that somewhere, that it is God that grants satisfaction. Give someone money and give someone the ability to enjoy that money. It's still God who grants that. I, I cannot remember exactly where I saw it, but it is there. It is shared there. So God is the one who grants satisfaction. That is the truth. Pleasures, wisdom, work, riches, promotional, all those things, they are good. But outside of contentment, outside of the contentment that comes from God, it doesn't really achieve anything. So when we're studying scripture, we should learn as a practical habit that even if you are here, you are here, and your colleagues are there, if you have the contentment that God gives you, you are okay. Tell yourself, I'm okay. I don't have to be a superstar on TV to be okay. You get, I don't have to live in the finest house to be okay. Expectation versus reality is wrecking our minds. It is messing with our brains. Everybody feels that at 30, you should be a millionaire. You should be a billionaire. At, at 25, you should be married with two children. There's, there's so much pressure that society is putting on us and we are putting on ourselves. <laughs> There's this joke about girls who watch K-drama. I expect that every boy in the universe should behave the way this guy is behaving in this movie. Can't they just behave like this? We're putting so much pressure on ourselves. Pressure that shouldn't even exist. Hold your heart <laughs> and ask God for contentment. It goes a long way, being content with where you are, with what God has given you while you are working in <laughs> Victoria, while you are working towards where you should be. Please be content. When things are not going right, <laughs> when things are not going right, pray about them, okay? Pray about them and make plans to change them. But do not ever let it be something that will weigh you down and pull down your spirit and you know just pull you into a state where you can no longer function. No. 
godliness with contentment is great gain. That's what the Bible says. So um, I have exhausted, I don't know if I have exhausted the time, but I am done with what I have to say. Life broken up into three segments as I see best relationships, money, and then contentment or satisfaction. We can learn practically all these things from scripture. There was a time in my life when I began to get uh, I began to get comments from people. Ah, OG, you are now you are, you, okay, no, not really people that knew me before, but I had just walked into a new crowd and I decided to try something new. Every day I would I would read some chapters of Proverbs. I would pick the one I would store in my brain, like this is my mantra for today, and then I would act accordingly. There was a time I was trying to work on my speech. I am not lying. I was trying to work on my speech, the way I talk. There was a time I was trying to work on my dressing, the way I dress, so that when I talk, when I pass, somebody should say, wow, there's something particular about this young lady. And really, I started getting such comments. Somebody would say, Aoji, you're so calm. And my friend, I'm like, cool, me? Well, well, if that's what you see, that's cool. I mean, that was the point. But whether I was really calm before, I don't think I was calm. But if anybody ever knew me and said, OJ, you are so calm. That means that was after this period when I went on a proverbs journey. It changed my whole life. So there are there's there's so much wisdom to be gained, and this wisdom is not abstract; it is practical. So let's let's pay attention to scripture and, and grab the best out of it as we can. Thank you. Any questions? Yes, I am open to questions now. I think I think that was when I met you, Ojay. I just, it just hits me now. It just hits me. I think, and she, I don't think she has heard this before, but there was a time I used to be afraid of you. Like, literally. I was like, who is this girl that is just like, it was everything. I was seeing, you know, how calm, how you carried yourself, how you spoke. I was like, ah, who, who is this person, right? So it's now making oh, sense yeah. to me. You guys, Proverbs. read Proverbs. <laughs> Read Proverbs. <laughs> wow, wow. This was really enlightening. Thank you so much, OJ. Thank you so much. Um, so she's opened the floor to questions, interaction. So please feel free to, you know, bring those questions up. Remember, we're in the month of Wisdom University, and we have a teacher. We literally have a teacher, you know, so very apt. All right, Ife, I see your hand up. Go ahead. Yeah, um, thank you so much, OJ, for today's teaching. Um, so my question, I'm currently taking um, a basic like theology online course. And the last lesson I just um, finished watching, they were talking about wisdom. And the instructor said that um, what he's noticed, the way the Bible describes wisdom that's different from the wisdom of the world, is that, you know, obviously, yes, wisdom is, we normally define wisdom as applied knowledge. But actually, according to the Bible, wisdom is knowledge that's applied to meet a moral need. 
So basically to achieve the morality that God intends for us, um, whereas the wisdom of the world doesn't do that. It just applies knowledge for any game. So um, I don't know. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Like, do you think that um, that's actually true? Because I know we talked about um, Solomon as well at the beginning. He gave examples. And then obviously, you know, that Solomon, as wise as he was, wasn't always morally <laughs> right, especially with relationships. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Okay, so um, let me give an example. I had a conversation with my brother about this a while ago. So, for example, okay, what he said, what, what we concluded is that when God gives his children wisdom, he mm. gives them wisdom and gives them one way. Like, only one way. And that your one way is Christ. But the wisdom the world provides, provides many ways. Someone wants to make money as a child of God. You have only one way. See, forget people that are talking about miracle money. I don't believe that. <laughs> you, work. you get money. It's simple. You work. But people of the world, they can still get money. Like they can go to classes where they teach them how to deceive people. Get money. They can use uh, money. They can do rituals to get money. They can, like there are many ways to get money. So mm. the wisdom that God provides us, it, it seems like a constraint. It seems like a very narrow goal because it doesn't give us the liberty of options. Mm -hmm. It confines us to the morality that Jesus would have us have. But at the end of the day, it is still our best option as children of God. Because when God gives things, there are no negative consequences to it. That is one yeah. thing I have seen, I've learned from experience. But when your things come from elsewhere, they attract so many. So yes, the morality that comes, the wisdom that comes from God has high standards for achievement very narrow sometimes our options are very limited mm. well they they have many options but it doesn't make theirs better than ours ours is still superior because ours comes with ours is perfect it's perfect Amen. sorry did i answer the question yeah um especially when you talked about you know that's christ's um, standard for us that helps thank you Awesome. I, I wanted to add something that I thought um, I heard a while back and it stuck with me. It has to do with, you know, God's idea of freedom. In Christ, we have freedom, right? But the freedom he gives us is with guardrails and with limits. And so the natural mind may say, that's not real freedom, right? Because True freedom should be, I should do anything I want, whenever I want, with whoever I want. But God's narrow way is actually where true wisdom lies. Because guess what? You may think you can't do anything. So the man in the world says, I can sleep with anyone I want. I can drink, you know. And so they start getting drunk. Guess what? 
they think they are free, but they become slaves to that, you know, maybe a habit of drinking or womanizing. So at the end of the day, it's a switch. What was supposed to give you freedom now becomes your, you know, prisoner. <laughs> uh, your, your imprisonment. <laughs> how, how, do you, how do you phrase that? So basically, true freedom is one with guardrails. God says, hey, don't go beyond this because he truly loves you. I want you to experience all the joys in freedom. So if he says, don't be thirsty for wealth or, you know, for excess money, he knows why he's saying that. He wants your heart to be right, you know, such that if, if he does bless you with abundance of resources, because you've built that restraint, you know, it's, um, it's going to help you live better with those resources. So that's, that's profound. Yeah. Nice one. If he says the greatest enemy of freedom is freedom. Dr. A.R. Bernard. Hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, the floor is to open for questions, contributions. Man, I was there today. I don't know if anyone feels like they should just, especially that one. You know, it's sometimes it's the things OJ is not primarily teaching on that she's kind of communicating. Like, see journals. Omar, I was like, I remember I had one journal. Then I stopped. Then I started again. <laughs> I've been con- I've been convicted. I'm going back. <laughs> I'm going back. All right. Any other thoughts? You guys are quiet today. What's up? No video. Nothing. Uh-uh. What is happening today? Today is what twenty eighth of May. Okay. Don't know if there's any special event, but please let's let's hear you guys. Oh, exam season. And how does that make a difference? <laughs> Any other feedback, guys? Okay. Well, should I, I ask uh-huh. I think you. I think you should ask a question after Fumi. Um, Fumi has a question. Yeah. So my question. I don't know if it's a good question. I don't know. Is, is someone. Yeah. Me? Start again, Fumi. Sorry. Can you hear me now? Yes. So I said my question. Sorry, I'm. Making noise. <laughs> um, like my question is um, on on the process of you know redefining yourself and applying all these principles to your life, right? There's a part of you feeling um somewhat like discouraged, especially like maybe when you feel like you made progress and people are still like, oh, this like you just get one feedback that would just kind of like just drag it and feel like wow, this was I thought I was making progress, but then. You know, fellow people that they are aware that you're trying to improve on this thing. And like, oh, Shabi, you said you are, you are going to work on this thing. Look at you now. You are doing this. Like, what do you do in that moment? Because sometimes it's very easy just to like, just like give up. And yes, of course, you know, we shouldn't give up. But sometimes you just get so discouraged and just like tired of like, hey, would I change this habit? Like, when will I like get over this habit? Like, eventually, like, I don't know. You just tired sometimes. But yeah, I don't know if you have any <laughs> words of encouragement. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> I've heard your question. I understand it perfectly well. First of all, there are two crowds that are watch you. There might be more, but I'm just categorizing it into two right now. There is a relevant crowd who will give you constructive criticism. There is an irrelevant crowd who just wants to talk. Probably they see you are trying to make changes and they want to 
criticize you or mock you out of their changes to discourage you just because they have nothing better to do with themselves. Now, regardless of whatever crowd is giving you this feedback, a baby who is born does not run short if a baby runs no matter the exercise or practice or training the baby does if the baby walks within one month seven months of being born is strange like change takes time it took you a lot of time to build up on that bad habit you want to get rid of right now so it's definitely going to take you time to get rid of if you have a crowd that is giving you godly positive criticism, as if to say you slipped in this area, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have slipped. You had a, a relapse, you shouldn't have had a relapse. Then surely they should also provide you advice on how to continue. But when you are faced with a crowd who just wants to criticize you, you filter what they say to make your changes, but don't let it stop you from growing as you should grow. The truth is, you should be able to ask yourself, do I like where I am? Do I like this thing I'm doing? Would I be a better person if I can achieve this change I'm trying to achieve? And if your answer is, I don't like where I am, but I will be a better person if I can achieve this thing then do not give up. Do not let what they say stop you from making the changes you should make. The, the one who made you, God who made you, formed you. He knows that you are a human being. He knows the way he made you. He sees that you are trying. He understands that you may make mistakes. As far as your mistakes are not intentional, you by yourself, you want something by yourself. He understands that make mistakes, but he's there to catch you up. There's a part of the Bible that says even a, a broken a broken reed will not, like he sees a plant is growing and wind has broken it. Some people will just go and tear off the head from the body, but what the Bible says is that God will straighten it and, and bind it back so that it will grow and be strong again. So God is that kind of father to us. What I would ask you to do is to Surround yourself with a crowd who will give you the positive criticism. So that if you are actually going wrong, they will actually tell you. They will call you to order and tell you. Because if you don't want anybody to, to tell you anything, that means you are not really ready to change. You should have the people that will tell you, you said you would stop talking too much. You have started talking too much again. When you have those people around you, you will be able to make changes as you should. But don't ever fall down and stay down. Don't give yourself any excuse to behave the way you behave. Right, addresses why you act the way you do. Don't give yourself any excuse to, to act the way you do. There's no way you just change, okay? Change is right. not one day. Get it done. Hmm. Awesome. So much. Thank you. Awesome. We can take one more and it will close. One more. One more question. OJ, you have a question for us. You mentioned yeah, that you actually, have... I actually was going to ask something about talking 
<laughs> we can do it. We can do it. It's we still have we still have some time. I'm asking the audience now. Do you think it's wrong to talk too much? Please <laughs> <laughs> talk too much. <laughs> Does anybody have any any biblical reference? Because it's a very it's a very subtle thing, but it's significant. So what do we think about talking? So the question is, is it a sin to talk too much? Is that how you said it? Yeah. Or okay. is it wrong? Is something, is something wrong with it? Okay, we're getting some answers. Um, Ife says it's based on the circumstance. Um, Bulu says it's bad and problematic. Um, Samuel is quoting from James, be, be slow to speak, um, quick to listen, slow to wrath. I think that's James 4, I can remember. Um, Yanolua says, it get, I guess it's more about what you're saying, okay? Um, and then Victoria says, I personally don't like it when people talk too much. <laughs> Those are the answers so far. Okay. Am I, am I to answer it again now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> well, actually gives us so many references about how, I like everybody's response, about how we should actually slow down. We should think about what we need to say. Consider whether it's worth it to say before we say. Bible talks about people who are in haste. They just do things quickly. People who feel they are wise in their own eyes, you are trying to correct them. They don't want to hear what their own is correct. And I actually have a very funny reference. Okay, reference. okay, Proverbs. I think with that, we'll just close. I'll be done. Proverbs 29, verse 20. Proverbs 29, verse 20. Someone who talks too much is actually probably someone who feels they are always right. They will. Mm. They are trying to change such a person, or if such a person is trying to change themselves through reading scripture, you find yourself arguing with the Bible instead of accepting what it's saying and changing. So Proverbs 29 20 says, Do you see a man who speaks in peace? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Now, when I read this, the, the, I saw another part in the Bible that talks about where there is more hope for a fool. And this one is very funny. So it's in Proverbs 26, from verse 6 to 12. Proverbs 26, verse 6 to 12. I'll just read it. It started by describing a fool, okay? So verse 6 says, Sending a message by the hands of a fool is like cutting off one's feet or drinking poison, okay? Rather than sending a message through a fool, just it's like cutting off your feet, or drinking poison. How do you expect the message to get through? Then verse 7, like the uselessness of one who is lame is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Verse 8, like tying a stone in a sling is the giving of honor to a fool. You want to throw this, then you tie the stone to the sling, so it's not going anywhere. <laughs> That's honor to a fool. Verse 9, 
Like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. You give something sharp, like a knife, to a drunkard to just be going around tricking people or puncturing people. Verse 10, like an archer who wounds at random is the one who hires a fool or any passerby. Verse 11, as a dog returns to his vomit, so fools repeat their folly. Now verse 12, you see a person who is wise in their own eyes. Mm. There is more for a fool than them. When I saw it, I, I, I dropped my... <laughs> I removed my... I dropped the Bible. I closed everything. Like it describes the fool. It's so ridiculous how a fool is. But there is more hope for a fool than a person who is wise in their own if someone is wise in their own eyes, they will not be able to accept the realities from scripture to make changes in themselves. Mm -hmm. We talk too much or argue too much without sitting down to consider before we speak. That was why I asked the question. Awesome. I think there's someone... Yes. Yeah, this is from Mixlr. Just another answer from Mixlr. We didn't forget you guys. We see your comments. Okay, so someone said talking too much all the time is a lack of self-control. I agree. Um, but then when you talk too much, it can lead you to sin eventually. That's also true. Um, like James talks about in the whole of... In fact, James chapter 3 is all about how dangerous your tongue is. And it's a rudder that directs your life. You know, the fact that um, you need to have restraint to your tongue and speak less, think more, process things more before you speak, you know, so powerful stuff. All right. Well, I think we're at a good point. Let's unmute ourselves and appreciate OJ for this awesome time. Everyone, let's thank you, OJ. Okay, we love you. Thank you so, so thank much. You so much. Thank you. Thank you. Finally, we see more faces at the end. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Thank you so much, OJ. Thanks for the for the for the time, the effort, the diligence. You basically practicalized everything you taught today. Thank you so much for your time. And we appreciate you. And on behalf of everyone here in BMG, we say we love you. And you know we're here this is our family so anytime you want to pop in feel free to do that um and i'm thankful for our friendship hey there so we've come to the end of this teaching session and we hope it was for you a teaching and an enlightening moment we have so many other topics on our podcast that range from spiritual gifts to charisma to interpreting the bible world and so many others if you'd like to listen to any one of them, just look through our podcast catalog and find the topic that you'd love to learn. If you'd like to join us Sunday live on MixLR or on Zoom, all you need to do is go to our website, which is bit.ly forward slash bmglive4. That's the number four. Or you can look in the description and you'll find the link to the website there. We hope you have a blessed week and continue to grow and progress with joy in your faith.